as we were discussing last night, the Indonesian president is in Australia for a three-day visit, talking trade, defence, climate, with uh, Elbow and the boys, the team. These days, Indonesia is a significant power in the region with, yes, vast natural resources and a population of over 270 million, making it the fourth most populous nation on earth. Now, Indonesia is indeed a place of enormous potential, but if there's one thing holding it back, it's the age-old problem of corruption. Now, during Suharto's 30 years in power, from the 60s to the late 90s, somewhere between 15 and 35 billion US dollars were embezzled from the nation's coffers. In fact, uh, Transparency International named Suharto as the most corrupt leader of his time. Now, a generation later, corruption in Indonesia is still stubbornly persistent, despite the best efforts of the anti-corruption movement. My next guest has been fighting it for over half a century. His name is Todong Mulya Lubis, and uh, he's one of Indonesia's most respected lawyers and human human rights activists, and he's dedicated his life to the pursuit of justice and democracy. Now he's written a very important new book called War on Corruption. It's published by Melbourne University Press. And I have to say, Todong, it's a great honour to have you on the program. We should remind the listener that democracy in Indonesia is still very young, isn't it? It's only been, what, 25 years? Yes, that's true. Yeah, We started our young democracy back in 1999, after we toppled Suharto. Under Suharto, for almost 32 years, we had no democracy. None whatsoever. I'm not saying there was no election. There's been election, of course, but it was not a free and fair election. So you are right, you know, 25 years of reform in Indonesia has given us opportunity to have democracy, but we still need to consolidate our democracy. Going back to Transparency International, Uh, and their um, corruption perception index. It rates Indonesia, Indonesia's corruption at around 34 out of 100, which makes it uh, 110th out of 180 surveyed countries. Now, you started fighting corruption as a young law student in the 1970s. Can you tell me about those times, and including the time when you were interrogated? Well, I remember very well in early 70s, there was a, a big project called Taman Mini Indonesia or Indonesian Miniature Park initiated by Madame Suharto. That was five years after Suharto came to power, five or six years actually. And at that time, there was no budget available to build up such a huge project. Where the money come from? 
Yeah, for us, the other issue was transparency because there was not transparency at all. We were told that the money came from donation of provincial governments and state-owned enterprises, but it has to be transparent. And another issue that we questioned at that time was priority. For us, building up a Taman Mini Indonesia or Indonesian Miniature Park was not a priority. The priority was building school, bridges, healthcare. So I organized a demonstration to protest the construction of the project because we smell corruption. You know, we smell abuse of powers in that development. You were arrested and your passport was seized. Well, I've been going to all this number of times, Phillips, you know. I was questioned by the police. I was detained, you know, not that long, yeah. And my passport was taken. So two times, my passport was taken by the authority and I was banned from traveling. So I could not travel to any other countries at that time, yeah. So uh, the last time when they took away my passport was in 1983, yeah, up to 1985. That was the last time. In 1987, of course, you know, I regained my freedom when I back home in Indonesia in 1990. Yeah, I have uh, yeah, quite a lot of network yeah, that probably gave me some sort of immunity. It, it seems to me you were very courageous because you had faced uh, intimidation, abuse, threats. You'd been banned from writing, from speaking, from public events, even from teaching. Well, that was the price that I had to pay. And I think anyone who fights for corruption, not only in Indonesia, has to be prepared and ready to any threat, any intimidations, any imprisonments. And I was ready, you know, to face all this because I believe in my fight. I believe in principles. I believe that Indonesia dream to have a clean, yeah, state free from corruption. So somebody has to to stand up for that. Now, you come back to Indonesia with a PhD from Berkeley and uh, you then become, well, a very active part of the reformasi path towards democracy. Well, in 1999, uh, for the first time, after we toppled Suharto, we had free and fair election. I organized what we call the, at that time, university network for free and fair election. So we had over uh, 100,000 students all over the countries to monitor the election, going from one polling station to another one and record that. So that was the beginning of democratization, yeah, democratic process, 
that we observe and try to strengthen in Indonesia. Yeah. And we, of course, uh, assist Indonesian uh, election commission, Indonesian supervisory you know, election commission to help uh, secure free and fair election. And, I, uh, I learn from you an astonishing fact that there is no word for corruption in Bahasa and you've had to borrow the, the word from the English. Well, you're right, Philips. You know, there was no similar words in our Indonesian uh, vocabulary. Yeah? Although when we see what meant by corruption, well, anything that steals something, anyone that steals something illegally to enrich himself, yeah, must be considered corrupt. And I think we have that, you know, in our tradition and our cultures, but they don't call it corruption. Yeah. Let me put it this way. On one hand, they talk about uh, anti-corruption, but on the other hand, they condone that. I'll give you one example, you know. Uh, bribing local official to get an ID card, yeah, or bribing a policeman to get yourself free from the punishments, yeah, because of uh, traffic violations. That is very common practice in Indonesia, and to me, it should be considered corruption, yeah, but it is a yeah, part of the probably traditions, yeah, that has been there for a long time. So well, of course, the Dutch uh, corrupted Indonesians, wealthy elite, for centuries. Was there a moment of hope when Suharto uh, took control of the country? Oh, yeah, when Suharto took control, you know, Indonesia from uh, former from President Sukarno, for the first five, six years, we had high hope, yeah. There was a honeymoon between the governments led by Suharto with the democracy activists, with the civil society, with the free press, you know, activists. And we thought we were on the right track. But power tends to corrupt. After six years, as I mentioned earlier, over time, we see a lot of crony getting projects, you know, a lot of uh, new businesses amassed by 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 the cronies and the families. So that was uh, what happened. Again and again, your audacity astonishes me. In 1999, uh, Time magazine did a, a story on Suharto's wealth and corruption, and Suharto <laughs> tried to sue the magazine, and you represented Time. Well, uh, I always fight for press freedom. My belief is press should be allowed freedom to publish whatever it deems appropriate to be published, provided they, they cover both sides, they do check and balances, and there, there's no malicious intent. Uh, when time published, uh, alleged corruption of Suharto and the families, I think that 
they've done everything. They tried to interview Suharto's and the families, the lawyers and the cronies. They did their check and recheck, and there was no malicious intent. That was simply the publication, the long story published by Time, simply in the name of public interest. So that's why I supported Time magazine. That's why I defended Time magazine. Your book makes it clear that in Indonesia, gift-giving is a very, very old custom. But uh, gift-giving is a problem in, uh, in politics. How does it work? in a modern democracy? Well, our uh, law on corruption eradication is very clear on that. Even one rupiah, one penny or one US dollars, if it is stolen, if it is, uh, if it is uh, illegally obtained you know, or stolen yeah, or taken, that was corruption. Yeah. It's not the matter of how much you corrupt. It is a matter of whether you violate the basic principles of decency, of justice, of law, then it should be considered corrupt. But again, the culture, the custom of not only Indonesia, but mostly in Asian countries, that is considered uh, yeah, acceptable. Yeah. Uh, acceptable as a token of appreciation. Look, I, we're running out of time and there's so much to cover, but tell me about the establishment of the KPK in uh, 2003, the uh, Corruption Eradication Commission. Well, KPK was set up as a response to systemic, endemic and widespread corruption during Suharto's time. People didn't trust the police and the prosecutors to fight corruption. Therefore, KPK got all the powers and succeeded in bringing the corrupts to jail. Never in our history, so many parliamentarians, ministers, governors, head of agencies, and judges sent to jail. That was unprecedented, perhaps. Indonesia suddenly saw hope in cleaning up the country. Now, your book makes it very clear that corruption is a symptom of a weak state. How do you strengthen public institutions in a system where corruption is so endemic? Well, this is not easy to answer, but I believe we can do that by reinventing the system. Reinventing the state, actually. yeah, Making no loopholes for corruption. In addition, we have to enforce the law indiscriminately. We have to empower KPK because KPK has been weakened and weakened when the when the revision of the KPK law was uh, passed by the parliaments. And then we, ha- we have to also increase the remuneration of civil servants, especially the law apparatus, especially judges, prosecutors, and the police. So we have to clean up the judiciary the tax office, the customs. And then we have also to embark on public education on anti-corruption. Todong, it's been a, a, a privilege to talk to you. My guest has been Todong Mulya Lubis, lawyer 
and human rights activist and uh, his book is called War on Corruption and it's published here by Melbourne University Press. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 